This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. I've just um, <coughs> uh, recently been watching the, uh, it's called the uh, Kaminsky Method on Netflix, and uh, it's, um, it's a, it's a comedy series and um, about um, an acting teacher who teaches the Kaminsky method and um, played by Michael Douglas and um, and his uh, primarily the male friendship between him and his friend uh, uh, who's played by Alan Alda and it's a quite funny comedy, uh, well worth having a look at. It's about the ageing process and uh, and uh, in one of the scenes <coughs> um, there's a um, Kaminsky, the, the acting teacher, has a daughter and she starts dating a, a man who's around about the same age as her father and uh, he's um, He's retired from teaching, English and history teacher, retired. And um, he, uh, he's sort of sitting around, I guess, a little bit at home and uh, not knowing quite what to do with himself. So his, his partner suggests, because she also runs the acting studio, that he maybe comes along to do the, the acting course. So he turns up. And uh, he joins in the class, and uh, it's his first class, and at the end of the class, uh, Kaminsky invites him out to the front of the class to introduce himself and say a few things about himself. And so he starts to give his spiel and starts to talk about himself. And, um, but, and there's, there's not much emotion to begin with, but it gets to a point just near the end uh, where he starts to sort of open up to his um, more authentic feelings and, uh, and he starts to sort of collapse in on himself a little bit and, and, and start, he starts to say something like feels that he's wasted his life like he feels that um, you know, he never went through with that, uh, that, that band he wanted to play with when he was younger or he feels that maybe his, his teaching career was somehow inauthentic or that he's kind of, is at this point in his life now where maybe it's too late, maybe he's just this sense of, this sense of wasting his life. And um, I thought how sad and how strange that, that, that is to, 
to have that kind of thought that I've wasted my life. How in that moment, that's what he's feeling. Of course, he recovers from that, but at that particular point, he's, that's what he's caught in. He's caught in the story that he's wasted his life. But there's some element of truth in that as well, uh, from a Zen perspective. Maizumi um, Roshi, the uh, Joko's teacher, used to always say, appreciate your life. And from a Zen perspective, I guess it's not so much what we've achieved or accomplished in our lives, but the sense in which life itself is the ultimate value, that, um, that being alive is something that most of us seem to neglect in this kind of consumer-driven culture that we live in. It's more important to define success in other terms other than I've really loved my life and I'm still loving my life and I'm still appreciating my life. Even though we know that there will be times when our life will be difficult or hard and as you move through the life cycle, we go through the various stages of development. And each stage of development brings up its own different challenges. But ultimately, from a Zen perspective, it's always this moment right now, are we appreciating our life? Are we valuing this moment? Because, of course, as we all get older, we, we see that, um, um, in a sense, the older we get and the closer we get to death, the more dreamlike our life appears in some ways. Where did it all go? It just disappeared like a dream. So part of our Zen practice is, is very important to clarify our values and how our values show up in our commitments. And um, you know, what does it mean to value your life? What are your most important values that give meaning and purpose to your life? And how do these values show up in committed actions? By the fact that you're all here today indicates something along, tells me something about your values. There's some ways in which your own personal values intersect with the kind of values that uh, Zen teaches. So I started to think about our values and commitments in the context of um, working on this constitution which is going to form be the foundation for our sangha. And uh, I decided to include in the constitution the, uh, the purpose statement of the Ordinary Mind Zen School. Uh, I don't know whether Joko Beck wrote all of the purpose statement itself or whether it was written by a number of her students and herself combined. I'm not quite sure how it was written. But the, uh, but the purpose statement certainly was endorsed by Joko Beck and uh, it uh, sort of like forms the foundation of our values and commitments as the ordinary mind and Zen school lineage. So I'll just read it out to you. <clears throat> the ordinary mind Zen school intends to manifest and support the practice of the awakened way as expressed in the teaching of Charlotte Joko Beck. The school is composed of her Dharma successors and teachers, and successors they, as individuals, have formally authorized. 
There is no affiliation with other Zen groups or religious denominations. However, membership in this school does not preclude individual affiliation with other groups. Within the school, there is no hierarchy of Dharma successes. The Awakened Way is universal. The medium and methods of realization vary according to circumstances. Each Dharma successor in the school may apply diverse approaches and determine the structure of any organization that she or he may develop to facilitate practice. The successors acknowledge that they are ongoing students and that the quality of their teaching derives from the quality of their practice. As ongoing students, teachers are committed to the openness and fluidity of practice wherein the wisdom of the Absolute may be manifested in and as our life. An important function of the school is the ongoing examination and development of effective teaching approaches to ensure comprehensive practice in all aspects of living. May the practice of this school manifest wisdom and compassion benefiting all beings. So, one of the questions we kind of touched on over the, in, over the past few years has been something along the lines of um, are we a, is this a secular teaching or a Buddhist teaching? And, um, and I think if you read the, I mean, this is only my interpretation of the purpose statement, but I read the purpose statement uh, in a way in which um, there's nothing in that purpose statement which states that we are a Buddhist organization, in a sense. But um, it does not preclude anybody from having a religious association with a religious denomination, whether that be Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, or any other kind of religion. Now, does it preclude anybody from joining if they identify as a secular kind of practice? So I, I've flipped and flopped between the two, but at this point in time, having come to this point where I have to choose in the sense of giving some direction, values and direction to this Sangha, uh, I've kind of like opted more for the fact that, well, let's neither be secular nor Buddhist. Um, I think we're part of a stage in the development of um, all these various wisdom traditions in the West, it's just, we just don't know where it's heading. And I think in some ways we're maybe creating something new, which is not necessarily just secular, because secular also tends to sometimes really get identified with the core paradigm of Western culture, which is materialism. And I don't know if I necessarily want to identify with that. But neither do we necessarily have to identify with Buddhists. I'm not a monastic, I don't wear robes. Joko didn't wear robes, and so on. Which doesn't mean to say we don't honor our lineage. Um, mostly our lineage is identified with Zen Buddhism, coming from China, 
to the West by Japan. Some people argue that Zen itself is, is in a way a kind of um, amalgam of um, Indian Buddhism and, and Chinese Taoism. Um, and in some ways we could, uh, Zen takes on a new form at, at different historical times, different cultures. And in some ways our Western appreciation of psychology has been shaping the way in which Zen is taught and practiced as well. Joko was one of the leading uh, uh, teachers of her time who, who, who started to incorporate that psychological perspective into Zen practice. And even today, if you were to go to Japan or even Japanese teachers who may teach in Australia have, don't quite have the same appreciation of psychology as Western teachers normally have. Um, so it um, in the um, so that in the traditional Zen Buddhism, one of the uh, important ceremonies is called the Jukai ceremony, and uh, that's the ceremony where it's in a way it's where one publicly identifies as a Buddhist, and one receives the Jukai means receiving the precepts, literally means receiving the precepts. Now, in some ways, even though Buddhism deconstructs itself and says things like, and Zen Buddhism deconstructs itself and says, if you see the Buddha, kill the Buddha, in other words. Uh, but there's a, sign of, a kind of deconstruction which is built into Zen. Um, but I've decided for this saying that we're not going to uh, go down the path of the Jukai ceremony. Something I have um, sat with for quite a while. Um, Joker Beck, I think, dropped Jukai ceremony, but many ordinary mind teachers still include it. So Barry does the Jukai ceremony, a number of other teachers do. As far as I know, Greg Howard in Brisbane doesn't do the Jukai ceremony, and I don't think Jeff in Sydney does the Jukai ceremony. So I've decided we're not going to worry about that. But if at some point along the track in our discussions and talks and stuff, if you wanted to have some kind of commitment ceremony, we could do something like that. But doesn't have to be identified as a Buddhist ceremony. Um, this, similarly, I mean, the question, do I have to identify as a Buddhist to be an ordinary mind Zen student or teacher? Well, clearly the answer, the answer is no. Um, you know, I'd have to be neither secular nor Buddhist. And, um, but we still honor our tradition and our lineage. And I think those two are not incompatible. So, what does a kind of ordinary mind Zen values feel like? And I've recently been reading and listening. I've, I've, I mean, who is here familiar with Ken Wilber's work? Ken Wilber's been writing for a long time. And he kind of like, likes to synthesize things a lot. He calls it integral vision. And uh, his work spans across the whole of human culture and evolution. And, uh, and uh, I don't know how old he is now, but he'll be getting on 
we're getting close to his age. I'm not quite sure how old he is. And Ken, I think it was Ken who originated the metaphor about waking up and growing up. And I think he also refers to this in, in one of his books from 2017 towards a new religion as um, probably the, the most significant um, turning point in Western Buddhism. There's often the three turnings of the wheel in Buddhism. The first was the, the teachings in the Pali school, the Four Noble Truths and the, the Eightfold Path. And the second turning was the work of Nagarjuna and Nagarjuna, um, who were uh, the middle way, the, who, who taught the, uh, the kind of emptiness teachings. And then the third turning being the Yogis, Yogacara school, the consciousness only school. And, uh, and Ken talks about a fourth turning in the West, which is this incorporation or integration of growing up into into the waking up curriculum. So in some ways the growing up is just a brief metaphor for the stages of development we all go through and uh, which applies to spiritual intelligence as well as emotional intelligence, cognitive intelligence. We all go through various stages of development. And um, one of the things I think that the Ordinary Mind School, whether it's Joko Beck or Barry Majid, my teacher, has been an incorporation of an understanding of these developmental issues uh, into our practice. And we've talked a lot about waking up is not enough. We have to do some work in terms of addressing all our developmental issues, the, uh, our developmental traumas which can come back and, and, and uh, hijack us. And so the, the work that has to be done on the psychological level to address all the various developmental aspects of our life as well as the spiritual experience so in some sense waking up is a sense in which it's always here in the enlightened consciousness or the, uh, the awareness where presence all various things it goes by Buddha nature Rigpa it's always here it's always complete there's no sense in which that develops but from a developmental point of view, we have to integrate those two. And I think that's probably the uh, defining characteristic of Western Zen and Western Buddhism in general, but not just Buddhism. I think it applies to secular teachings and, um, and teachings that you might find in other religions who are concerned with this kind of non-dual pathway. And uh, I was thinking about I could, you know, refine the, the main values uh, of a contemporary Zen path, and I think that to make awake, awakening to our true nature has got to be a, our number one priority, um, and that sort of, sort of that equates to the, the first and the third vow that we read out this morning, the, the four all-embracing vows, or the, the four bodies at the vows. And, um, but to also realize that waking up cannot be separated from growing up. So, um, 
the second vow in terms of delusions are inexhaustible. You know, delusions are sometimes translated as greed, hatred, and ignorance. Or I could just basically call it the way in which we get caught up in our self-centered emotional reactions, uh, our various traumas. Um, so in a sense, we have to integrate those, that work, in terms of working through the ways in which we get caught in those numberless delusions. And uh, in many ways, that's a, growing up in a way is a lifelong journey. And, uh, and there are all different kinds of aspects to ourselves that needs to be developed. And uh, to embody this awakening as part of the Four Vows, we talked about embodying awakening, embodying the way of the awakened way. And again, I, I take that embodying as being about, really about, understanding and accepting ourselves and integrating all our vulnerable and defensive parts and uh, recognizing that that healing from trauma is a lifelong process. And finally, embodying this awakening in our everyday life, in our, in our relationships uh, and uh, in our families and friendships and the way in which we get involved in the community in our work. To me that corresponds to the, the first vow in terms of sharing this awakening process and participating in that with all other beings in our everyday lives. So, um, kind of questions I'd, I'd just like to leave you with are um, how do we um, embody those values in our actions? So, for example, what does commitment mean to you in relationship to your practice? Um, how are these values being embodied in your life, in your work, paid or voluntary, in your involvement in community work, creativity, appreciation of life, political involvement, family, relationships, friendships? And um, it's really important to ask yourself those questions and bring you a sense of understanding what your values are, what your priorities are, what your intention is in coming here. And uh, how is that going to show up? How will that show up in terms of how we come together as a Sangha and uh, how we support each other? How we create this down under Zen and make it new make it relevant to our lives here and now and we don't see this as being any less than the, uh, the great monastic traditions how we see this as being a real genuine thing <laughs>